Empires of the Future, Jackson. We're back. How was your weekend? It was good. Yeah, it was my birthday weekend. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. I mean, you're getting older. I am. That is the problem with birthdays. Especially <laughs> <laughs> at this age. They're as exciting as they were once we were kids. Yes. So, uh, 37? 8. 38? Yeah. Gosh. I know. I know. So, and uh, it was a good birthday weekend. It's always good to have a birthday on the weekend and not during the middle of the week. Right. So, uh, yeah. So, A plus on the birthday weekend. And um, I know we're going to be talking about climate change. For those who haven't seen the movie Doom, which I saw last night, there is very much an element of the Middle East and oil very present in the story. Which is interesting because the book was written in the '60s. I didn't know this was such a big deal in the '60s. But the the uh, the uh, resources is called spice, oh. which only comes from this dune or sand desert like okay. planet, which is very similar to Tatooine. Which you can definitely tell <laughs> the that George Lucas was very much influenced by Dune in his Star Wars movie. Even the bad guy is called the Emperor. There, and you had a, one of the other bad guys look very similar to like a Darth Vader type really? guy, yeah, like right. a kind of a weird, yeah. So, anyways, so I haven't seen Dune yet. Would you? Uh, I know you said it, it's, it's beautiful looking. It's a beautiful. So movie. if you like scenery, then you like it. Yeah, if you like cinematography, it's very, okay. very, uh, very impressive. But overall, you're into uh, it. Yeah, I, it's it's slow, but it's an epic movie, right? <clears throat> it, it, it's just telling a pretty. I mean, I'm, I don't. I've never read the book. I know the book is pretty large, um, and so yeah, there's a lot of explaining to do, and all the characters and planets and different things. It is. It's a. It's a world epic type story. It has. It's probably gonna have different other parts to it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so understanding kind of the political aspects of these different houses is a part of it. Uh, but it is. It's a very like mystical story too, with like a messiah type figure mm-hmm. and certain powers and about like. Um, winning freedom and liberty for a certain group of people. So you do have that part of the story, too, very kind of a Christ-like figure in the mm-hmm. story. Um, it's very mysterious in parts, very interesting. Um, and, yeah, I, if you don't like slow movies that kind of you have to kind of sit there and get its character development, if you don't like that, you want action constantly, probably not going well, and, and Which is, you're not one of those people. A, a lot of us have been conditioned towards yes. that. I uh, I can take a good drama if the characters are round, if they make, if they commit actions that make sense, if they're uh, intriguing, they have elements of mystery about right. them, if the story goes somewhere. Uh, I don't like it when, you know, the characters are very predictable and... Um, you know, uh, there's so many wrong things that can happen with dramas as far as, like, plot twists for plot twists' sake. And, right. And so, I, you know, I'm, I'm interested. I'm not going to go yeah. to the theaters to see it. Uh, it is. I'll say this. Uh, it is probably worth seeing in theater because okay. of kind of the scale yeah. of the movie. Uh, here's here's my point that I, I, I made on Facebook. I had uh, another former friend say that she, he, he kind of makes indie films he says if you're you're a comic book guy so this is not really you but if you're tired of the comic book movies then you need to go see Dune oh. because like it's a way of support kind of an, it's a very sure. ambitious movie sure. I mean uh, if again I'm not familiar with the book or anything but it was made into a movie in 1984 mm-hmm. um, and it was supposedly a flop I think it, the, the reason why a lot of people haven't touched it is because the book is so big yeah and so it's a very ambitious movie story to make into a movie and it is like it is quite impressive this the scale it's very epic and the world and depicting the world is very like 
very impressive. It's a very ambitious movie mm-hmm. with a lot of characters and a lot of things you're having to tie in together. And I think if you like that kind of stuff and you want movies, movie producers to make more of that stuff, I would encourage you to go then to the movie theater. Well, this how they determine if they're going to make those movies is how well it does in the movie theater. And I'm certainly in support of that because uh, it's to our detriment that we just put up one tent pole. Right. Uh, you know, look, I watched Eternals uh, a couple of weeks ago, and this is not a great Marvel movie. Okay. Uh, it is sort of ambitious, but... It's a different Marvel movie, right? Yeah. Very more emotional. It, it, honestly, the, my uh, my summary would be they should have just made that a Disney Plus series because 10 new characters, they're trying to tell a story that spans l- like literally thousands of years. Gotcha. And... All these characters, you're supposed to care about them, but it's just like, okay, even in two hours and 40 minutes, no. Yeah. You you you, you don't. You end up giving maybe two minutes here, two minutes there to a character story arc, and whether it's the script or the acting, I mean, something didn't work to emotionally communicate. It's hard enough to communicate, hey, by the way, these characters are thousands of years old and they've lived hundreds of lifetimes when you're cramming it into the shoehorn of what Marvel movies often are, which is like quips, and there there needs to be a lot of action, and yeah. and they so they they sort of try to walk the line, and most people agree that it, it didn't work. Yeah. Um, but this is what we're living in. Is you know like it, that's the story of Star Wars in a lot of ways. Is that the first movie was walking the line between being a personal story about a young boy, uh, Luke Skywalker, and an epic kind of space fight. Uh, and then it seems like now everybody feels like they're owed an epic space fight in every one. But then right. it's like, well, when you lose the heart of the movie, it feels empty. Yep. And most of these movies feel empty. And it's the same story um, for a lot of the Marvel movies. And, and so uh, just one of those deals. It's hard to make good movies. Um, but we're on this sort of uh, curve of just trying to make it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's just not the answer. Yeah, Dune is great because it's obviously building to a big... Clash, yeah, but it's building to that. It doesn't give you that in the first movie. It gives you like these skirmishes. You, you get these kind of impressive, mm-hmm. kind of somewhat battles on smaller scales. Um, but that obviously not the focal point of the story. Um, it's about these characters and 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 especially the main characters kind of figuring out what his purpose is in this massive world. Yeah. Um, and so. So yeah, I think uh, the director um, Dennis Villavoni, from he's a Canadian filmmaker. He's really a lot of his movies. Cinematography is always a plus. Yeah. He really likes the way the movie looks, uh, and, and the and the sounds. He's very good at using uh, very intense like music and and sounds to really kind of tell you there's a conflict about to happen. Yeah, um, yeah, I. He, I, if you like good movies, and you especially like good movies that look good on the movie theater, go see Dune. Okay. Yeah, it's worth. I think it's worth the ten bucks seeing it that than over watching it on the streaming service. Yeah, you can tell that's what it was meant. It's very like Christopher Nolan ish, yeah. kind of what it was meant to be watched on, and, and it's definitely theaters. So, so this is a good uh, entryway into what you know we were talking about beforehand. Uh, you and I, I think, are in a similar place about uh, climate change as an idea that you've heard a lot of things. We're both not deniers, right? Right. So uh, both <laughs> listening. Yes. And, Open to persuasion. And, and I think that uh, this article is a good entry point. And, and, and one thing that he seems to focus on that I think is important is 
this is not catastrophizing. This is not to say the world will end in five years if we don't do something, but he acknowledges there seems to be something going on, but we need to look at it honestly and uh, in a rational kind of conservative manner so that we can then go, all right, what do we do about this? Isn't it interesting that the, the individual mm-hmm. writing this is Danish? Because I felt like the Scandinavian, especially Swedes during the pandemic, definitely had a more reasonable, right. less emotional mm-hmm. perspective on how to combat and, and do society uh, during this pandemic. And then we have, I think he's Danish, right? He's part of the, Kim, he's part of the Copenhagen uh, particular um, group. And, mm-hmm. uh, and this, as you were saying, very reasonable, very thought out, yeah. very logical, very not using emotion necessarily to... Uh, or, or, or I would say, which I think is an issue in our day and age, especially amongst politicians, is kind of grandstanding or, or um, using a lot of like rhetoric to um, using emotions to produce, uh, pers- to be persuasive and things right. like that. Almost too pathos, not enough, you know, right. logos and that type of thing. So uh, I think I think this is what I, I I'm kind of with you. I've not really thought about climate change because I think the data and the and the science is a little over my head not being a scientist by any means, but I thought this was really helpful uh, and very easy to digest. I think it helps you be able to actually as a voter or even as someone has an opinion on something to be able to say, this is why I think this and why I have this perspective on it because of these different measures that are brought up in this particular article. Right, and so I I use that term, uh, catastrophizing. I got that uh, from some reading about uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which we've talked about in the past, but this is just... um, uh, if you're not interested in, in anything like that, this is just something that our minds naturally do is that we can talk about situations and often, even in our everyday lives, we have a temptation to overblow a problem in order to get other people to react and, and do what we want. Sure. So you might say, you know, hey, everyone, we've got to stop going out to eat every day because we might not, we might lose our house next month. Well, look, if you're really going to lose your house next month based upon what you've been spending, that's a true statement. But often when we speak that way, we are just trying to get people's attention. Right. The danger, especially on this huge scale, the danger of catastrophizing is getting the entire world's attention is very difficult. Yes. And you often, uh, it, it's just a miscalculation to think, I know how I'll do it. I'll say something completely over the top. And then they'll all come to my side. I mean, politically, that is a very bad strategy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if you make a problem out to be bigger than it is, especially in our polarized times, well, then you give the other side the ammunition to just say, oh, they're clearly lying to you, so trust me. Right. I'll tell you the opposite lie. Right. And then we don't need to be there. Yeah, then if you either you're an acceptor of the entire worldview or you're a denier of the whole worldview, you can't find a middle ground anywhere. Right, because, and and that's, you know... uh, in our in our tough times, you, you'll read these articles where you say, all right, you know, I'm going to be a both sides guy. It's like, look, <laughs> the answer is not to be both sides about everything. The answer is to look at data yeah. and to realize you cannot coerce people into doing what you want. I mean, uh, there is an entire school of politics that is about coercion. Right. And I just don't believe that in the long run will get you anywhere. The simple fact is, this Machiavellian sort of style, you lie to people once, you might get one thing out of them. And then after that, they just won't trust you anymore. Right. 
and, uh, and so that's at the background uh, of this. And uh, I just wanted to be clear about that. So uh, you mentioned uh, a Danish author, I believe that's right, uh, Bjorn Lomborg. There you if go. you hadn't heard of him before today, neither had I. Uh, Bjorn Lomborg. Let's put J's after B's and J's after other, other letters and the, <laughs> the, the Danish right. name uh, spellings and stuff. Yeah. Nobel Prize winning in economics. Yeah. So you can tell like, this is a very... Uh, economic looking a view of kind of the climate change right. issue um which because it really was quite timely because they had the u.n climate uh i guess it was a climate uh, it was a meeting of a lot of different uh kind of i don't know a lot of the big uh, nations of the world were mm-hmm. invited to this this climate change meeting in scotland glasgow i think that's where it was um i know president biden was there you know who was not there the Chinese or the Russians, yeah. <laughs> two uh, and, uh, nations, Putin or the uh, the leader of China was not at the meeting. But so climate change was a big issue this past week. So this article was pretty timely as all that was going on. Right. Uh, so this is going to be an economic angle on it. And uh, he works, though, with, like you said, a think tank of uh, something like 43 uh, different uh, economists, mostly uh, Scientists are in there, uh, and, and, and they are in communication with scientists to assess, look, as far as, as, far as we can tell, there is a problem. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, there is a, uh, a chart along mm-hmm. with this. Charts can be helpful. And, and one thing that's really helpful in this situation is uh, I think there's been a temptation to not make hard physical claims about what's going to happen. I get that because you might be wrong, but the danger then, if you don't project anything, often people think, well, the people will not follow us anymore if we're wrong about our claims. No, look, (laughs) people understand that these huge scientific questions are pretty challenging to predict, but this is the first time I have run across hard data uh, projections and and so I, I think this is just helpful. Here is here's the claim that they're dealing with uh, by 2100. So that is 79 years from now. If nothing is done, their projection is uh, we will have globally a 7.4 degrees Fahrenheit rise in temperatures. Mm-hmm. 7.4 degrees, which will again I don't know all the science, which will cause more uh, melting of the ice caps, right. which will cause uh, ocean waters to rise, which will cause probably more hurricanes and other issues. And it will probably cause a lot of beachside housing in other cities that are on, on the coast, which is what, 70-plus percent of cities and people live near the ocean? Like, it is a pretty major part where things come in. You get a lot of fishing and other aspects right. that people need. Uh, are They're right there on the coast. Um, and so... Uh, a lot of people that live on the coast could be could be affected, will probably be affected in some ways, um, by this increase in temperature. Right. Now we don't know exactly because we can't predict the future exactly, but that is some guesses about what potentially could be affected, which will cause death. It will cause destruction of property, um, and which will also affect other economic or other industries. Maybe it affects fishing industries or what other industries that are dependent on certain aspects of the coast. Right. 
And, and so at this point, some, you know, would interject, well, you know, climate changes, how do we know that, uh, that something might happen or something might not happen to counteract this naturally? Well, look, that, that's all possible. Mm-hmm. All we can do is deal with the data that we have. Right. And so this is their claim, 7.4 degree rise, if we don't do anything by the year 2100. Now, so since well, this is... And a, those particular things, that, what, are, what are, maybe you can answer this, cause, uh, what are certain climate costs... Um, or what are some uh, climate policy costs that are being pre- that are being promised currently, either in Europe or in America? I mean, so you're definitely working on uh, mitigating the damage done by uh, fossil fuels. Right. Uh, you're you're there is a lot of work being done on replacing right uh, the coal burning uh, right. anything that is causing damage to, uh, I mean, you and I were growing up hearing about the ozone layer. Right. It is interesting, and I don't know exactly the reason why certain terminology has changed because... We don't use uh, that anymore. Right. We used to hear about global warming a lot, and he mentions it in here, and, and you know, it's um, it, it seems that, that the words that are used more often is, is climate change, but we, we have the capacity to understand how we're affecting things like the ozone layer and then to try to mitigate that damage. Um, and so from a, an economic standpoint... They add up all the measures that they are going to attempt, and they go, all right, here's the thing. We can, as, uh, though there aren't mechanisms to join together as a world and spend money, we're all going to spend some amount of money on this, and they estimate the highest possible amount that might be spent by the year 2100. And then they compare it to various uh, measures in between doing nothing and then doing the highest possible amount. And by their measure, the highest possible amount spent is $220 trillion. Uh, and that's in $2010 if, right. you're, if you're worrying about inflation. Right. Uh, no, it's just a freezing of the, the uh, dollar at 2010. So you have a valuation. Um, and I'll leave anyone. $220 trillion is a lot of zeros. Um, so, and that's the curtain curtain costs that are being talked about. That were talked about at the Glasgow climate change meeting. It's like, here's all the things that we need to change so that we can, um, so that we can mediate the impacts of climate change. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we're getting rid of all coal burning stations. We're getting rid of. We're going to phase out fossil fuels completely. Um, which so that includes pet- petroleum. So therefore, we're getting rid of gasoline cars. Um, get rid of any other type of energy-producing station that uses fossil fuel. Uh, so that means more investments in like wind turbines and other um, alternative energy sources. Um, which, therefore, if that were to you, so one of the costs that would also be a part of this is the entire fossil fuel industry would go away. So you have mo- most of Texas's industry coming energy would go away. So all those jobs lost, and all those mm-hmm. companies that would have to kind of fold. Would either for right now start to invest in other other sources of profit, other sources of, of production, um, and other other technologies as well. So all these kind of technologies that were used in the past for drilling oil and drilling other things mm-hmm. are now would now be redundant. Would actually be um, irrelevant now. So we have to move on to other. So there's just a lot. Those are all the costs that are being in part of this two hundred and twenty trillion dollars. Yeah, these are all the economic costs that will be produced because of this. Um, focus. Right. And uh, I'll give one more number before uh, 
by the way, if I think this is probably not behind a paywall. Uh, this, this article is called A Reasonable Alternative to Preaching Climate Doom. And again, by Bjorn Lomborg, L-O-M-B-O-R-G. Uh, this is the Wall Street Journal from last Thursday, which is about the 11th of November. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, as was said, if we spent nothing on a, a climate policy, uh, by 2100, the estimation is that temperatures would rise 7.4 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, if we spent this $220 trillion, which is the estimate of the highest that the world uh, might spend, temperatures would rise by 3.9 degrees Fahrenheit. So, because yeah, here's, so here's the comparison. You're talking about 7.5 degrees if we do nothing, right around 4 degrees. It's still going to rise if we spend the $220 trillion. And, and then that, that gives us a jumping off point to go, as economists, then they, they say there's measures between those two things. Right. But those are the, uh, the broad range of the possibilities that, that could be approached. I remember talking, there was an economic professor at USI that I was friends with, and he would always use the word optimal. Mm-hmm. What is optimal? And it was, it's, a, it's a term that economists use quite often. It's like, you know, your ideal is unrealistic. Yeah. So what is optimal? Here's some, mm-hmm. some changes, right? You see this problem. You realize you do need to, you know, some way mediate it, uh, uh, somehow find a, a solution to, to um, tame it a little bit, manage it. Well, you can't spend every dollar and every resources to solve that problem. You have to find an optimal level. And I think too often, I think this is what's so helpful about this article, is the conversation amongst politicians is, is they're not talking about optimal. They're talking about the $220 trillion investment to get rid of any type of um, impact of climate change, get rid of it completely. And this, this, this author is saying, well, that's impossible because even if you spent $220 trillion, you're, it's still going to rise by almost four degrees, which is, yeah, you're, you're bringing it down by half, but right. it's still going up. Right. You're, you're not being able to completely stop this, this pattern, this trend. Right, and it's worth mentioning then that... Uh, if you spent, according to this graph, if you spent uh, about 180 trillion, it would rise by 4.1 degrees. So you're talking about two tenths of a degree difference. Uh, so you have, di- I mean, diminishing returns is what yeah, you're talking exactly. about. You spend untold amounts of money. I mean, 100 trillion dollars in terms of, uh, let's say, uh, you're talking about the problem that we're running into here is interests of growing economies, uh, say a country like Somalia, look, their interests are producing enough food to feed their people. Uh, and they're an oil-producing country as well. Their interests are, <laughs> yeah. I mean, air conditioning, because yeah. it's really hot. Right. And, and, and look, a lot of the challenges here are, all right, all right, all right. So we have to convince the people of this country not to use their oil to some degree, you're, you're talking about a basic uh, proposal to this country as a whole. Don't use your oil, which is one of the few assets as a country. This is how your GDP is, <laughs> is produced in large part. When it's hotter than, I mean, somewhere like here, where we right. live in Evansville, Indiana, uh, for more of the year. Because so, they're like the equator near the equator, yeah. Right. So don't, don't get everybody air conditioning and don't keep it on. Uh, I mean, this is just an yeah. everyday example. It's like, look, okay, it's not... Yeah. That's not that reasonable to think that you're going to get there. But where I want us to go today is that it is reasonable to ask people to be responsible and to consider the impacts of their lives. But it's not reasonable uh, to 
to ask people to act outside of their interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and especially when a lot of the story for Western countries is, well, look, the Industrial Revolution hit a couple hundred years ago, and we put a lot of pollution into the ozone layer and found out that that's created problems over the last couple hundred years. And so now there is this problem to to ask other countries not to right. do right. what we have done. And, and, okay, you get that. But then one thing is we are not putting as much pollution. That Cars, for instance, don't pollute as much as cars did 100 years ago. Right. Um, and so there's a little bit of a, a, a tizzy about, okay, how do we get people to not act in their own interest? Well, look, you're, people are going to act in their own interest. Right. And so you should not, you can't lie to them and think then they'll, they'll trust you in that way. We're going to have to ask people to be responsible. And then the last thing to say in, in terms of kind of the basic element of this that's really challenging is that all of these hundreds of leaders flew in on private jets, which are using up more energy than like the entire town where the climate summit was held in a day. Right. The, the jet, the one flight alone. Personal responsibility is is huge in this situation, and it's kind of being ducked. Yeah. And it seems like the problem is that since everybody's doing it, nobody wants to make an example to somehow uh, do less. Yeah, and one of the uh, – you have it right here that the U.N. estimates that even if no country does anything to slow global warming, the annual damage by 2100 uh, – yeah, 21 will be equivalent to 2.6% cut in global gross domestic product, given that the U.N. also expects the average person to be 4 and 50% as rich in 20, uh, 2100 as today. That, it, that, that figure falls only to 434% if the temperature rises unimpeded. This is a problem, but not the end of the world. So, I mean – even when we talk about some of the, the issues that climate change could present, even if they factor that in, you're, you're only talking about a 2.6% cut in gross domestic product globally. And so the, the issue is, is all the cost uh, in climate policy worth the very little that is going to potentially be lost if we did nothing at all. And it seems like right now it's, it's a lot of push for an abundant amount of costs now to affect some long-term effect that we don't really know exactly what's going to happen. So it's almost like the medicine is worth the disease, isn't it? Well, and that uh, economically is the, is the position that they're taking. So that by 2100, everyone should expect to be around four times as wealthy as they are now, or the average person will be, you know, obviously by 2100. Uh, I don't expect I'll be here anymore. Um, right. But that is the state of affairs. And so then if climate will create a problem economically, the problem is is going to manifest itself in such a way as, okay, then the average person will be, rather than four and a half times as wealthy as they are today, they'll be four and a quarter times as wealthy. Right. And it's just kind of... Well, okay, then economics uh, is saying that this is manageable by that standard. And, and, and look, at the end of the day, they do have a proposal to say, here's how much we think we ought to be spending. Uh, and their proposal is to say $120 trillion or so is what they recommend to spend. And look, to get what? By 2100, they're saying that the temperatures will rise by 6.3% or 6.3 degrees Fahrenheit. 
worldwide 6.3 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's what you get for $120 trillion. Right. That is what they describe as the word that's optimal. Yeah. The word that you use the, the economists like. And here's why. Because the next step down that they have here on the graph is that if you spent $130 trillion, you would get a 5.3 degree raise by 2100. Uh, so you spend almost four times. Or I'm sorry. Not, uh, you spend... An extra about fifty trillion dollars. No, I'm sorry, twenty. An extra twenty-five trillion dollars to get another degree, and this is where you are. I mean, yeah. and, and then look for for people. This is this is one of those uh, episodes. I would say that if if numbers are not your thing, is sometimes they're not mine. I want to say about this. Here's the deal: you get diminishing returns, and there's not a consensus worldwide on what to do about this. There is very far from a consensus. If Russia and China aren't showing up, uh, it's just a good summary to say there's we're not near a consensus on what to do about this. So then... And here's why there's not a U.S. consensus. Right. Because if they believe that China and Russia, Russia is one of the largest natural gas producers in the world, if they're not going to show up, if they're not going to impact their economy by taking on climate change policies and costs then why should we? And especially in a global economy where you're talking about how can we uh, be effective as a balancing um, uh, agent to China's rise, why would we take on more costs and make it harder on ourselves to be able to compete with China going forward if we're the only ones serious about major climate change costs? Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to continue to lose more jobs to the developing world uh, and to these countries, if we are going to, in a sense, we're going to take our medicine, mm-hmm. but they're not going to take theirs. And of course, their argument is, is we're a developing country. Right. We're in our develop. We're in our industrial age and in our industrial revolution. You had your industrial revolution over a hundred years ago. We're having ours now. Why should we stop our industrial revolution to make our people long-term less prosperous when you're already reaping the benefits of your industrial revolution? Right. And that is... Very challenging. I mean, uh, China is a completely different kind of case study because they have had one of the most dramatic rises in the last, say, 20 years of standard of living. They have a billion people who had been living uh, on very little money per day. Mm -hmm. But as, as probably wherever you are right now, you could walk to anywhere in your room and find a product made in China. Right. Well, their production... And their low cost of labor has meant a lot of money flowing towards China, which has meant increased standard of living. Which means they buy more cars, which right. are run on oil, right? <laughs> fossil fuels. And, and so that's, that's yeah. one story of what's been happening. And I, uh, I don't know of any other way to approach people about this than to say, look, if, if you are not willing to... Look at this issue and give it enough time to go, all right, you know, we were talking in the last uh, episode about you use cloth napkins. Yes. If you're not looking to make some reasonable changes in your life based upon your assessment of this issue, raising your air conditioning uh, a couple of degrees in the summer, right. lowering mm-hmm. your heat a couple of degrees in the winter, if, if you don't want to approach this, then you're not going to have... Any ability to say, I think the whole world ought to, you know, what, what are you going to say? I think people in China ought not to buy a car to move their family around to yes. take their kids to school. or yeah. 
if we want to approach this in an honest way, you have to start with yourself. Right. And then move on to your family. And, and it's kind of, kind of a concentric circle kind of thing that that's how influence works out from the center. Uh, there's been this very strange uh, idea that... And, and, and I very much wonder if it has something to do with sort of uh, uh, what I would see as like the fallen Christianity uh, that we, we all kind of have been drinking with the former Christianity. Well, if you preach it to somebody else, but you don't have to practice it yourself. Like, no, look, right. people don't practice what they don't see you right. living out. Right. If, if you're preaching it and you don't live it, it won't get anywhere. Right. And even, uh, you know, the, the title of this article that uh, preaching climate doom, that uh, this, this simple idea that Something that comes out of your mouth will not be followed if your life doesn't match it. That, that's right. everywhere. That's not right. just within the church. That is true in all corners. Yep. And it's a simple truth that I think is lost yep. in the world at large. Well, I do, you know, while this is interesting, I think this stuff is already at play. I mean, things are changing. I mean, there's a reason why car companies are saying by 2030, we're going to be completely, mm-hmm. we're going to sell only battery-powered car. I mean, that doesn't mean that there won't be gas-powered cars on the road, but we're just not going to be selling them, right? Right, and keep in mind, the most likely thing, anybody I've talked to about this, those are just going to be taxed more. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about more carbon tax on the gas that you buy. That's coming. Everything about gas. Especially if you live in an urban city. Right. If you live in an urban city or a suburb near an urban city where you have to go into the city, that's going to happen. If you live in the rural area, maybe not as much, you know. Um, but this stuff is happening. We we did a, a we did a, an episode a while back on homes. Homes are going to change. They're going to be more. They're going to be more efficient. They're going to have to use less, you know, less heating and less mm-hmm. air conditioning. We're going to make them differently, right? right? They're going to be more efficient. Um, all your appliances are going to be more efficient. They're going to use less energy. This stuff is happening. Like innovation. While you can be a climate change denier, what you buy for your appliances. That what went into building that thing was going to be about how do we limit energy? Mm-hmm. That's what's going to happen. Right. And um, there's a reason why green is a marketing tool because people want something that's green. They people feel like they're helping climate change by buying something that's more efficient. Mm-hmm. Or there's a reason why people are buying more Teslas or batteries. Oh, if I buy this, I'm probably mm-hmm. helping save the world in my purchase. There is probably a that maybe not the major reason why they're buying it. But that is a part of the decision making that they're, oh, you know, it'll be, I don't have to use gasoline anymore. It'll be helpful on the planet, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that is becoming more, and as, as children are raised in homes with that type of thing, and it's going to become more of the thinking, I think, especially in the West, and I think the United States especially, will probably use less fossil fuels going forward because that's just the culture's changing in that direction. The yeah. marketing is changing in that direction. People's buying purchase decisions are changing. The issue, though, when it comes to climate change, I don't think necessarily, like, people don't vote on climate change. They're not voting for a Democrat or Republican based off this issue. Um, But I think things are changing. The issue is, can the United States, can Canada, can Great Britain, can the European Union, can they get some of these developing, major developing countries like India and and China and, um, and Russia and some other countries get them to come to the table and do any type of climate change uh, policy whatsoever. Because I think that's going to be the bigger issue going forward. Uh, and will we'll Western countries, in some ways, uh, through tariffs and things, impact those countries' development? 
because I think that is stuff that's on the table at Glasgow was how do we, because that was one of the ideas I had read that they were thinking about a tariff on countries that don't have any type of climate change, um, you know, um, uh, vision or any kind of climate change um, uh, promises that they're going to make, that they're going to, in a sense, be taxed through trade, which will impact the Western countries and some of their purchasing of cheaper goods coming out of developing countries. So I am kind of a little, I'm a little, should the West punish the developing world as they try to catch up as they're more dependent on fossil fuels than maybe we are now and will be in the future? Should they be, should they be penalized? I think that is an issue that I don't know is, is talked about because the more, and some of these developing countries who have been extremely poor and as as these numbers show from the UN, as as maybe their their prosperity does increase over the next few several decades, should we slow that down? Is that something we should do as as those who have experienced long long term prosperity because of our use of fossil fuels and other things? Right. I think that's the interesting kind of human issue on this going forward. Yeah. You know, it this issue to me. Uh, for our purposes, is an example of stewardship. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are responsible for what we do and what we use, and whatever anyone's position on this, you're responsible to look at your life and to go, uh, am I managing what mm-hmm. I've been given well? And then uh, to ask this question that you're asking, what does love of neighbor require of us? And where he goes, I think is helpful because it's not uh, it's not tenable to say, well, we'll just try to keep technologies from other countries, technologies that we've been enjoying. Right. Uh, what is reasonable is some of the solutions uh, that he offers, which is, one, innovation, so that if you can drive the cost of one source of clean energy below that of fossil fuels, okay. It's easy. Yeah. No, that, yeah, yeah. No, look, that's, that's the gray goose. I mean, that's yes. the thing, though, that yes. is very challenging. It is. The problem with fossil fuel and the reason that the Industrial Revolution was what it was and to a degree still is what it is is because, wow, there's a lot of energy in fossil fuels that is pretty easy to get at. Yep. And there's a lot of fossil fuels. Yep. It really is shocking if you think about how we've been using these things up for a couple hundred years now. And by we, I, I mean, in large part, you could just summarize it easily by saying the West, right. starting in England right. uh, and, and moving. But Cause, cause a lot of their coal producing, uh, you know, in the mountains over in Wales and stuff. It was all Britain. But now yeah. they only have like, I think they have one coal uh, area now, they, or they, and they're trying to phase that one out. So, like, coal is hardly is, no coal is hardly produced in Britain now. And though at one point it was the major part of their their empire and the yeah. industry, yeah. And so, it's very difficult to get any of these other. Uh, you know, they describe solar and wind energy as inefficient. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's very difficult to get as much bang for your buck out of any of these other technologies. But that's why a lot of money is being dropped into these technologies in order to increase their efficiency, because it is a reasonable proposition to say to other countries, this is the cheapest we can sell a battery powered car for. Yeah. And 
that is a move that everybody agrees. That's that, that's a wonderful move if we can get there. Right. In the meantime, uh, you know, I mean, one thing that is going to keep happening is that uh, in a place like, for instance, I mean, years ago, uh, had a motor from Japan taken on a ship, brought to Harrisburg, Illinois, where I am from, right. and I, my stepdad bought it, put it in my Camry because they had emission standards that after a motor gets uh, 50,000 miles on it, they go, we're not putting, this puts out too many emissions. Well, in America, we, you know, we brought it over and put another couple hundred thousand miles on it mm-hmm. uh, because our emission standards were lower. Uh, in a place like Tokyo, you know, that's a, yeah, a lot different. more of a problem because right. uh, cities, if you have a lot of people producing a lot of uh, carbon emissions, that can create a lot of problems more quickly. Um, but we just can't operate thinking, well, we will not let other countries enjoy the advantages that we have. Um, and so that's the first thing that he offers is innovation uh, and, and yeah. dropping money into innovation. Yeah. In, in some ways, that makes this article an argument for dropping a whole lot of money into innovation. And, and, and it, a lot of that. And it's unfortunate because some of, some of the alternatives, they do have their some pretty major weaknesses. Like, number one, like nuclear power is probably one of the best alternatives. Like, it, you get a lot of energy from it, um, and you could you could power a lot, of, and its half-life is thousands upon thousands of years, right? But there is there is a safety issue, you know, even though there, there haven't happened all that much right. in the scheme of nuclear power, but they do happen, and they do cause a lot of problems, right? right? Like, look at, at Japan, look at uh, what happened yeah, in Ukraine. Yeah, and all Chernobyl. Yeah, yeah, Chernobyl. Yeah, Chernobyl is still a bad deal. It's still a bad deal. Um, but... Um, and with the other issue with nuclear power is what to do with the toxic waste. Like, what do you do with it? Like, nobody wants to keep toxic waste in their town. So what do you do with toxic waste? There, there are some drawbacks. Right. But, and, and even though nuclear power is clean, um, it's very efficient. It doesn't put carbon in the, in the atmosphere. It, it has some other drawbacks. Um, and so, therefore, some of these other alternatives, like solar or wind, um, just, just aren't efficient mm-hmm. and are not you're not going to be able to power grids the way that you are with natural gas or right. some other things. And so there's some real issues to, to be discussed with this. And it doesn't seem like uh, a lot of people are willing to, to budge on some of these, these issues. It seems like in certain states, like I'm not sure if this is an issue in Southern Illinois, but definitely an issue in Eastern Kentucky about coal. I mean, yep. if any politician that wants to get elected in Kentucky, if you're part of the Republican party, you have to be for coal. Yep. I mean, and so it's, there's a lot of political, um, a lot of ground there that it seems almost difficult right now to see that ground sliding anyway. But hey, it happened in Great Britain. I guess it'll happen in the United States too when it comes to coal. And and uh, but uh, we we produce a lot of fossil fuels in the United States. I mean, the United States is one of the largest uh, uh, gas producing countries in the world. We're one of the largest coal-producing countries in the world. We produce a lot of fossil fuels. A lot of people make a lot of their money, a lot of their their livelihood from fossil fuels. And to see the United States go completely away from that, it seems almost hard to believe. Right. But it is is something that we're on track and working to do. Uh, So the second solution that they offer is economic growth. And I think that sounds a bit strange at first, um, but they talk about when people are prosperous— you know, I mean, look, it's a, let's go back to Somalia. For most of our life, we've heard about countries like Ethiopia and Somalia, where the main thing you hear is that famine, feeding people is a challenge. Well, look, when feeding people is a challenge, when people aren't well-fed, they're not going to be worried about 
climate change. Right. I mean, this is simple. Right. Uh, that if people are not worrying about day-to-day survival, scientists, families, people can work towards solutions for these issues. And so from a Christian perspective, another, uh, another issue here is generosity. Mm-hmm. As much generosity as we can manage to share what has been given so that we are all on the same page about what the problems are in our world that need to be dealt with. Uh, and, and that makes a lot of sense to me, that economic growth for everyone means then that everyone will be concerned about the same problems, and then we can all go. Uh, it's not disingenuous for me to say to you, hey, let's focus and, and work toward this problem when I'm sitting in a, you know, air-conditioned home at 70 degrees, with my family who has three meals a day and a family across the world doesn't have clean water, regular food, and all the things that yeah. the, the day-to-day needs of people. It's, it is an interesting thought. You know, The more prosperous you are, the more you're able to kind of reflect on your impact. Right. You know, am I impacting the world in a negative way? How can I... How can I decrease that impact? Um, you know, simple things like, you know, uh, recycling. Like when you have to worry about feeding and feeding your family, you think about, hey, we need to make sure that we collect our recycling and take it somewhere. Uh, make sure that we limit our trash. Because, you know, if we have this plastic thing that we're done with, I mean, yeah, you could throw it in the trash or you can recycle it. And why not recycle it, right? If this is going to help the planet in a certain way, it, it's, it, what cost is it for me? Right. Just to put it in a bin and then once a month take it over to where the Boy Scouts collect recycling every month. I just have to make sure I collect it and just take it there. It takes about, what, maybe 30 minutes of my entire month. And I, I just limited my trash output by a pretty significant amount. Right. Enough to, to fill my entire back of my car that could have gone in the, tr- in the dump is now being recycled. Right. I think simple things like that. Um, do you need to have your air conditioning running at like the coldest of all of all temperature? Is it necessary? No, it's it's somewhat wasteful, and it's also costs. It's a costing you. You have to spend sure. more money. So I think these are all things I think the American especially can start thinking about. Is you know I, I don't really have to worry about my children being fed. You know everyone in America pretty much you know gets a meal every day. How can I think about my impact on the climate and how that may affect other people. Um, and, and so I think that's just, I think a Christian thing to think through about stewardship and stewarding over the planet and thinking about these things. And I think that's how God created us to think about a world that he created. He created it. He put us in a, in a responsibility to uh, steward over it. And as stewards who work and keep the land, these are things that we should think through, right? Uh, I know, you know, Wendell Berry from, you know, Kentucky is a great writer on the on the land and how we're, it, this is a part of our, our land, the, the, what we cultivate, what we uh, what we steward over. We need to keep it nice. We need to do what we can and um, within, within reason. And a lot of the things we're talking about is within reason. Like it's not stuff that are like, you know, you're going to like put your life at risk by doing it. It's pretty simple things. Right. Um, hopefully in the coming years, uh, if battery cars are what you can buy, they're cheap enough that you can buy them and you can run them, and you don't have to put gasoline in your car anymore. I mean, right. 
to not have to put three three dollars and thirty cent gasoline per gallon right. in my car, it's going to be a better thing right. for me, right? right? Was that fifty bucks at the at the pump once a week? I don't do that anymore. Right. That'll be good. Yeah. Um, and so um, those are some benefits, and you know, hopefully those are cheaper down the road. And and uh, I think I think American society is going to change pretty significantly over the next few decades when it comes to energy. Like what what am I using? And how how much that impacts the, the, the planet from an energy standpoint, I think is going to majorly change in the next couple, couple of decades. Our children' experience with appliances and their homes and their cars are going to be so different than ours, right. and it's because of climate change. This is, this is kind of driving those those decision making, and um, and so it's it's an interesting. I I, I like the article because it, I think it prevents a pretty a good like skeleton to talk to someone about this issue that may disagree with you a little bit, how to have a, a, a responsible alternative to this kind of issue. Um, and so I'm glad I'm glad that we, that I read it and we had to talk about it. Yeah. Anything else? That's it. All right. So this has been, um, uh, empires of the future. And we'll see you in the future. Support.